Hi there, and welcome to the Crypto Frontier. I'm Jonathan Miller, Managing Director of Kraken Australia, and I'm glad you could join me out here on the Crypto Frontier. On this show, you'll hear from the industry's best and brightest about the latest news in crypto markets and industry from Australia and around the world. Tune in fortnightly to gather the latest insights and data to power your trading, whether you haven't yet bought your first Bitcoin or want to better understand the latest DeFi token, this show will explore the latest in market data trends and go behind the scenes and explore the technology that powers what we call the future of finance. Now for some of the latest news in crypto, brought to you by Kraken Intelligence. In macroeconomic news, CPI inflation in the US hit a 13-year high of 4.2% before a seasonal adjustment over the last 12 months. This is the largest ever increase since 2008. Meanwhile, BTC has taken a hit following the tweets from Elon Musk regarding suspension of Tesla's decision to accept Bitcoin as payment. Is it just a blip? Time will tell. On the other side of the fence, MoneyGram just announced that they will allow for customers to buy and sell Bitcoin at 12,000 of their US retail locations. And NFTs continue to be produced and brought to market, with Floyd Mayweather, the boxer, joining a slew of other sporting stars releasing memorabilia on blockchain-backed platforms. And it's not just the issuers, platforms are coming around to the idea as well, with eBay permitting the sale of NFTs for digital collectibles. That's all the news today. For more insight, make sure you subscribe to the Kraken Intelligence newsletter at kraken.com. Now for my guest on today's show, it's a pleasure to introduce you to Kane Warwick, the founder of Synthetics. Kane, thanks for joining me. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, so one thing I like to do is get a bit of history from our from our guests. So can you tell me a little bit about um, how you came into crypto? What brought you here? Yeah, so I came from an online retail slash retail background. Um, I had a couple of retail-ish startups. uh, And so uh, that got me into, um, I I guess, the weeds in terms of some of the payment challenges that exist. And, you know, particularly back then, obviously, PayPal was, was, you know, really dominant in terms of online payments, um, or you had to, you know, get your own credit card gateway, which was challenging. So there were a lot of barriers in, in, in terms of getting access to online payments, um, you know, back in, in 2009, 2010, all the way through, you know, probably to 2014. And so, uh, so, you know, looking at Bitcoin and, and this idea of having, um, you know, a decentralized uh, asset that, that could be used for payments was quite powerful. Now, obviously, as we all know, uh, that narrative has shifted <laughs> over the last decade or so. And, and, you know, it's more about store of value, but we do have, um, you know, obviously now uh, Ethereum and stable coins uh, kind of, you know, replacing, uh, replacing that. And so that, that sort of stuck with me. And, and as I, um, you know, launched a couple of other startups, including a, a payment gateway to allow people to, um, to use cash to buy things over the counter, um, which, which is called BlueShift, um, still running, still operates, um, work with a lot of the crypto exchanges in Australia. Um, including some overseas ones like Binance and, and some others, um, that, you know, the, the crypto side of things was, was really important to me. Um, but then, you know, I didn't really go kind of deep into the space until I started looking at stable coins and, and seeing the opportunity there. And then obviously launched Haven back in, you know, 2017. Okay, cool. Well, um, well, maybe we should just quickly talk about Haven then. Uh, yeah. W- what was that? Yeah. So, you know, Haven was, was, I, Ideally designed to be this uh, decentralized payment network, right? So a closed loop payment network, like a 
um, you know, an Amex or a PayPal, um, but, you know, with multiple uh, parties uh, providing um, the service, right? This, this idea of a decentralized service rather than a centralized uh, payment network. Um, but, you know, as we got into 2018 and launched, what we found is that, you know, there were some other stablecoin designs that, um, you know, were maybe a bit more effective. So USDC obviously launched and, um, you know, it forced us to pivot and look at, um, you know, some other things in the space that we could do. And so what we decided to do was lean into the fact that the, the design that we had, the mechanism that we had, enabled not just a US dollar tracking stablecoin, but it enabled, you know, any asset essentially. So we launched a range of different uh, fiat currencies, AUD, GBP, um, JPY, as well as um, Bitcoin and gold and silver. Um, and so, you know, tw- this is towards the end of 2018, um, you know, we kind of leaned into that and, and rebranded to synthetics, you know, to, to kind of tap into the synthetic asset um, you know, side of things rather than the, the payment network. Uh, and, you know, obviously in, in that including a couple of other changes, to the protocol that we made, um, you know, started to generate some traction in, in early 2019. And, you know, obviously the, the protocol's been growing since. Amazing. Well, yeah, this is what we want to talk about. So, you know, if I jump to your website, synthetics.io, um, it describes itself as being the derivatives liquidity protocol. It's a bit wonky, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's it's great. You know, it, it explains what it does, but I'd love to, you know, wind that back a little bit and and come up with some ways to explain, you know, what the protocol does to to our users. So, yeah, could you could you tell me a little bit about uh, synthetics and, and how it works? Yeah, so um, so you know, I think when we talk about how this network functions, it, it's a collateralized network, right? So um, anyone can turn up and uh, provide collateral um, at the moment, primarily in the form of SNX, the, the network token or synthetics, um, but it can also be Bitcoin and Ether as well. Those are, those are um, collateral types that we support and they can uh, start participating in the network, um, issue these, uh, these synthetic assets. Um, which then people can trade. You know, this is the service, right, that that we're enabling. Um, rather than having, you know, a centralized service where someone acts as a counterparty or acts as a, a clearinghouse providing a service to a client and it's a one-to-one relationship, uh, what you actually have is this, um, this, you know, decentralized network that's kind of allowing people to come together and coordinate a set of rules to provide this distributed service, decentralized service, and anyone can then come and access that service. And the people who provide the service, um, you know, it's permissionless. They can turn up and, and you can join and leave the network whenever you want, get paid for, for providing that service. Okay, cool. So um, is this a, a fair way, you know, of understanding this? And I'll take a stab at, at kind of um, re-explaining it to our listeners, but from my point of view, um, so instead of there being a an issuer of a stablecoin, like for example Tether, where they have a bank account and they and they have to have to prove to everyone that you you know they've got enough uh, in in the coffers to match what what um, the value of the the Tether is on on the network, the crypto version of the USD. Um, in your instance, so Synthetics essentially provides a platform for anyone to become a provider of the collateral, the underlying collateral. And in fact, um, it's all on network. It's an all on-chain version of that process. So you've kind of, you've you've solved that last mile, that that kind of obfuscation between the the crypto world and the the real world. 
by, by using crypto assets as collateral and a decentralized process uh, for, for the kind of audit. Exactly. And, and that, you know, because it's a closed loop um, to an extent, right, it's not a perfectly closed loop, but it, from the perspective of what we're talking about here, it is a closed loop. Um, you know, you don't need to go back and refer to value stored outside of the blockchain, right? The, the entire mm. thing is kind of contained in itself. Where it isn't a closed loop is the fact that we do leverage oracles to get the prices for the assets. For example, you know, we don't have a gold price on Ethereum, right? Like a native gold price. The only, um, <laughs> the only prices that we can sort of get uh, are assets that are in AMMs and, and things like that. And even then, they're challenges um, in, in using those prices um, when you're talking about um, you know, providing oracles. So what we do is we use Chainlink, um, who have uh, a bunch of uh, different data providers and node operators who collectively pull data from the real world. So they go and get the price of oil, for example, right? They go and look at all the, the futures uh, contracts for oil for the, you know, the, mm -hmm. the following three months, um, the, the nearest three months. They roll them all up into, uh, you know, a, a price feed. And then the data providers push that price feed out to node operators who then publish it on the blockchain. And, and you know, there's a coordination process there. So, so we do rely on some off-chain data, but you don't need to rely on the fact that the value is being stored by a custodian. Um, you know, so if you trust that Oracle, you're yeah. fine. There's, there's no, there's no pot of gold somewhere that someone needs to maintain sitting in a vault in Singapore or something like that. Okay. Well, that's still a, bit, a really big problem to solve. I, and I guess the obvious question then um, is what happens when, okay, so you've got a crypto collateral there that you then kind of print a, 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 a synth, as you call it, like a, a, another another version of, of a real world asset and you tie that price of the real world asset, you know, the synth um, to the synth, excuse me, with an Oracle. Okay. I understand that process, but what happens when the collateral, like, you know, goes to zero. So, I mean, I don't think it's going to go to zero, but you know, today we saw massive fluctuations in the price of Bitcoin. How do you solve for that kind of problem for the collateral side? Yeah. And this is, this is the challenge, right? It's the challenge in all kind of crypto collateralized systems um, is you need sufficient liquidity in the underlying market for the collateral to be confident that you can, uh, you know, liquidate any positions that are underwater um, and, and, you know, make the network whole again. And so within synthetics, there's a whole bunch of uh, rules and, and structures that ensure that if someone who is providing collateral does not maintain a ratio that the system considers healthy, which at the moment is 500%. So this is five times over collateralized. Um, so if you don't maintain that ratio, uh, you get no fees from the network. So you're, you're prevented from collecting fees. Um, and if your ratio falls too low, you can be liquidated. So if, if your ratio goes down to say 200%, uh, someone else in the network can come and claim your underlying collateral, pay down your debt on your behalf, and you get a, a liquidation penalty. Um, which is very similar to how, you know, money markets like Compound and Aave work, how Maker works, mm. um, you know, how a lot mm -hmm. of the, the crypto collateralized systems work is, you know, you have an assumption that people are solvent and if they become, um, you know, insolvent, then uh, liquidators step in and, and you know, uh, claim their collateral. Cool. Okay. Well, I mean, it's obvious that this is a, like a super interesting and Oh, let's face it; is a complex product, but it, but I've got to say <laughs> yeah. that in, in using it, it it actually feels really simple. Um, so so can you tell me, you know, from from your um point of view, you know, 
where does it go from here for, for synthetics and potentially, you know, in more general terms, where does it go for, from here for crypto? Yeah, I think the, the question of where does it go for synthetics is a very similar question to where does it go for sort of all of DeFi, right? Um, mm -hmm. So at the moment, the majority of DeFi is occurring on Ethereum. Uh, the vast majority is occurring on Ethereum. There are, you know, little shoots uh, on places like BSC and Solana and, and a couple of other networks, Avalanche. Uh, but, you know, the vast, vast majority of value, of activity, transactions, you know, fees paid, all that stuff, it's on Ethereum. The problem with that is Ethereum, you know, uh, does not have the throughput to be able to support the level of activity that's occurring right now. Um, and so, you know, any time you have a situation like that, the tension, uh, you know, obviously goes somewhere and at the moment it's going towards fees. Um, so, you know, it may cost upwards of $500, $1,000, $2,000 you know, submit a transaction and get it mined um, on the Ethereum blockchain right now, which obviously is not the, you know, open, permissive, uh, you know, um, uh, world, um, you know, that we were looking to build, right? Um, you know, anyone who's doing small transactions is priced out. Luckily, for the last you know three or four years, there's been a lot of research, um, some dead ends, but you know slowly moving towards uh, um, you know production uh, for layer two scaling solutions. And there's now a number of different layer two scaling solutions that are in in the works or almost ready to be deployed. And this is really the future of DeFi. If we want DeFi to be more accessible and we want to open it up to a much wider audience, um, we need scaling to um, you know to come through. And so uh, synthetics, for example, is already deployed. Um, a partial system onto Optimism, um, which is a, an optimistic roll-up, um, which is a type of Layer 2 scaling solution. So not only are there multiple teams, but there's also multiple flavors of uh, Layer 2 scaling solutions out there. Yeah. Uh, but this, so it's, it is a complex topic, but the, old, the, the end result of all of this is that like, you know, we need to scale 100%. <laughs> we need low fees. We need scalability. We need higher throughput. And there's a bunch of computations that can't even be done on L1 that are needed to be done, right? Um, so that's that's the future of DeFi. Um, the future of DeFi is layer two on Ethereum, and then eventually a merger of layer two, layer one, E2.0, sharding, a bunch of different things coming together to really you know give even even higher throughput and um, mm. even more bandwidth. But at the moment, we're kind of in the dial-up era of, uh, of DeFi. Um, and it's good and it's cool and it's be much better than not having dial-up, but it's not nearly as, as good as it will be when we have you know, cable internet. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there is a bunch of hackers in Melbourne who managed to, to get into NASA on dial-up. So, you know, you can do great things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not advocating exactly. that kind of behavior, but it's a really interesting uh, story. Um, that that whole story. There's actually a podcast on that. Well, I think it was a local podcast by the ABC. Did a did a deep oh, nice. But it is really it is really a great comparison. We're talking about super early versions of of fundamentally kind of chain, you know, uh, disruptive and and innovative technology. So okay, so rather than rather than going deep into um, layer two, even though it's super interesting, I'd like to just get like your personal view here, kind of in general. We've got DeFi as a space. What other spaces are you seeing in crypto that that you're finding really super interesting right now? Uh, you know, everyone's talking about the NFT space. I think there's good parts of the NFT space and and maybe less uh, less good parts. And and I think what it comes down to ultimately is that you know NFTs intersect with a lot of different areas of of culture. Um, you know, DeFi is exciting. And if you're a finance person 
and you're super interested in finance and and you know that just is something that you want to spend all day thinking about and talking about and messing around with and playing around with there's no more fun place than to be in DeFi. that is maybe a couple of percent of the population right you know the vast majority of the population is far more interested in things like music and art and sneakers and collectibles and games and tvs you know tv shows movies all that stuff and i think that um nfts uh are so new that we're still not quite 100 percent sure how to jam those two things together um but i think one thing that is very obvious is that creators and artists are starting to kind of get some product market fit and, and tap into this uh this desire um to you know have connectivity into these novel um you know some kind of unique uh assets and so i think nfts are something that, that are super interesting and, and the addressable market you know even though finance is important and everyone needs finance it's not as exciting as you know uh music or a new album coming out or something like that yeah i mean i, I would agree with you that from a yeah from a kind of tantalizing point of view that space is super interesting but at the same time you know everyone a lot of people you know, have a loan of some kind, you know, and, and so, you know, even, even though that's a boring, it's like a relatively boring uh, topic of conversation <laughs> when compared to music or art or, or some of these other interesting, more cultural areas. But look, um, I think that's probably all the time we've got today. I think we should maybe have like a super technical chat about layer two at some point, um, Amazing. you know, uh, you know, in the near future, hopefully, or, or, or later on, because that's an area that I, I agree with you as well is, is really imperative for, for the growth of the space. So Kane, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. I, r- I really appreciate your time. Awesome. Yeah. My pleasure. It was really fun. Make sure you subscribe and review us on your favorite podcast platform of choice. And we will make sure we take you right to the edge of the crypto frontier. And remember, you can learn more about all things crypto by visiting kraken.com learn. And until next time, I've been Jonathan Miller, and this has been the Crypto Frontier.